0: Good night.
1: Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone.
2: Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Every Wednesdays from 10 to 11, that's Eastern Time, we are live and you can listen live and then we archive the show at the end of the day so that you can. Listen to the show anytime you want and download it, MP3, iTunes, whatever. I have three guests joining me this morning. My first guest is Jonathan Albert. He is known as Manhattan's most media-friendly psychotherapist, and I think it was the New York Observer who deemed him that. And his new book is Be Fearless, Change Your Life in 28 Days. Uh, And this is for all of you who want to overcome your fears lead a more satisfied life, achieve your dreams, and also reach your goals at the same time. So he's going to be our first guest. Second guest is Dr. Sherry Myers. She's a licensed marriage therapist and nationally recognized infidelity expert. So I'm going to be talking to her about her new book, Chatting or Cheating. So I don't know whether you are chatting or cheating. Uh, But anyway, her book is Chatting or Cheating, How to Detect Infidelity, Rebuild Love, and Affair Proof Your Relationship not easy to do, at least in my experience. My third guest is author Christy Mata. She's uh, an MA in the mental health. She has an MA in the mental health field. She's worked as a clinician for 20 years doing dialectical behavior therapy, and uh, the acronym for that is DBT. And she has developed programs for helping those coping with extreme stress so that they can cope with extreme stress in healthier ways. But first, here in the studio with us is Jonathan Albert, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning.
3: Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me on.
2: Okay, you are the media's most most media-friendly psychotherapist. Cause, so
3: that's good because well, now we're on the radio. The New
2: York, that's what the New York
3: Observer said. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's great. That's a great title to have. Okay, be fair with the interviews.
3: Go ahead. No, I
2: was going to say you're going to. You, I want to read the title of your book again because it's really Be Fearless but it's not just Be Fearless Change Your Life in 28 Days so we're going to talk about that I know you have a five step program that you describe in the book so that we can do this in 28 days but one of the things that caught my eye was it said on the flap of the, the book flap of it, um that you, this book came out or grew out of your own experiences. And so I want to start with that first before we discuss the book and the five-step program. Like, obviously, you must have been afraid or terrified, and you were able to overcome it. So can you talk to us about how did you do that and did you do it? Did you change it in 28 days?
3: Sure. Uh, well, it took a little longer than 28 days, maybe 28 years. But uh, <laughs> i uh i was a, a dorky awkward extremely shy kid and for for a short time i wore uh four scump leg braces and you know had a, some physical uh difficulties as well so um i didn't i felt like i didn't quite fit in and that led to shyness uh and then i'd say probably in my twenties i started to care a little less about people what people thought about me and Started to define what was really important to me, and then set a path to to achieve those goals. So if that was a certain career goal or um, uh, a social goal to to interact more and more efficiently and more effectively with people than I, I did it. And uh, the book really is a personal account of of my early years, um, but it's also Uh, stems from my practice, where I see a lot of people who are fearful. Uh, They're fearful of change. Uh, They're afraid to pursue a love interest. Uh, They're afraid to pursue a certain career or a dream. So maybe they always wanted to start a business or run a marathon or get in shape. Uh, And they're just fearful of of change and and making such uh, pursuits. So the book really gets into that, and at the heart of the book is is change and how to achieve it and not be held hostage by fear and anxiety.
2: All right. So we have to first, as I understand it, we we don't want to be held hostage, uh, obviously, by our fears, so we can't achieve all the things you just described. Well, so don't we first have to define the fear, like what's Uh, keeping us stuck?
3: Yes. Yes, the first step of my Be Fearless program is actually to define the dream. Uh, what's the goal? What is it that you want? And that's usually the first question that I ask a new client, and it's the first question that readers will be asked in the program. What is it that you want? Visualize that. And I ask readers to write out a list of their goals and dreams and just like let it rip, whatever it is, no matter how outrageous they think it is. And then from there, we fine-tune the list and, you know, make a determination whether the goal is realistic, whether it's a, a, a goal that's internally motivated, or if it's something that maybe they feel pressure from family or society to achieve. So we start to define the goal and clarify goals, uh, and then from there, we, we move into breaking the fear pattern and... In this, this is where we, we talk about, like, what's stopping us, and I actually have readers write out, like, all the reasons why they can't do something. And it's powerful because it purges the system, so it's cathartic in a way, and, uh, and clients and readers really respond nicely to that.
2: Jonathan, are there any areas that people, would you say, now in our culture, in our society today, are more fearful of? Are there any fears that stand out? I know job. jobs marriage, all the relationships, all of those kinds of things. But is there any one thing that you would say that's really prevalent today that really most of us get stuck from?
3: Uh, lately I'm seeing a lot of people who are, who are unemployed. They're, they're between jobs, they're losing their job, and they're fearful of how, you know, how they'll support themselves, how they'll support their, their families. I'm also seeing people who are employed and they're fearful that they might lose their job their livelihood and uh... it certainly doesn't make them perform very well at their job it, it's actually uh... debilitating in a way uh... but i would say over the past two three years i'm seeing a lot of of that Um i'm also seeing a lot of people and i think this has probably been around since uh... you know hundreds of years ago but people who are afraid they'll be alone forever. Uh, my practice is in Manhattan, and there are a lot of single people, and these people are afraid that they just won't find the love of their life and they'll grow old alone. Um, so, you know, despite all the technological opportunities we have to meet people through online dating and, and the like, we, that, that fear is stronger and bigger than ever.
2: All right, well, let's take the first one, because I think that's really, well, they both are, but that's, obviously really relevant today fear of losing your job not keeping your job or if you lose it you're not going to get another job but some people are going to be listening and say well that's just pre- I mean that fear is not a mindless fear that's a reality and so is, am I holding I mean that is something that is a real possibility I am going to be fired from my job I am going to be let go and I am not going to be able to support my family
3: Yeah. Well, it is a very real possibility, but to think negatively, I'm going to lose my job, and that's not really substantiated by fact. It's more fueled by fear and sort of the the frenzy that's out there. Um, It doesn't really lead someone to perform well, and it obviously wreaks havoc on their body and mind. Um, A different type of thinking would be, yes, the economy is bad, the job situation is uh, not very certain. However, I'm going to do what I can do to ensure that my job is secure, and that might mean uh, taking continuing ed credits,
1: uh, meeting with
3: the boss, reviewing performance. So really shifting the mindset to one where someone is fearful to where someone is fearless. So instead of thinking of all the things that could go wrong, they think of all the things that they can do to sort of strengthen their position or um, to to ensure that their their job is secure.
2: Yeah, so you actually help them to be prepared and not... I, I know right. you mentioned the book, I don't know if you just mentioned it just now, but the word paralyzed, we become paralyzed by our fear and think that there aren't other choices. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're... Go ahead. Yeah, we, we
3: become held hostage by the mere thought. And, you know, one of the things that I have my clients do, and the readers do, as well as to examine the thinking. Is it based in fact, or is it based more in fiction and fantasy? And I get into what I call the negativity bias, and this is rooted in our in our DNA. It goes back thousands of years ago, where we needed to be primed to think negatively. So when we're thousands of years ago, when there was a real threat where we could actually be harmed by Natural disasters and wild animals running around. We need it to be alert. We need it to be vigilant. So we would think negatively: Is there danger ahead? What is it? What will I do? But for many of us, that has sort of stuck around, and we're just we're we're vigilant, hyper vigilant uh, to these to these dangers that might exist.
2: Kind of like. Those of us who have appendix that don't work, (laughs) is it the same thing? That's right.
3: That's right. (laughs) It's been left over from time, but it it serves us well. Uh, You know, you you can count on it in times of danger. Uh, It's good to know that if someone uh, chases us, that we'll run probably faster than we've always run before. If someone chases us with a knife, um, you know, we can
2: count on that. Some of the specifics that you deal with in the book in order to, overcome this well paralysis or fears um, whether it has to do with job or relationships um, but some of the things that you have help people to overcome are perfectionism procrastination worry rejection and and you say those are all the excuses that people give to, uh, telling you why they can't overcome their fears so let's look, talk to us about those because i think i mean those are very common um I use. I don't think that I I use procrastination usually and worry. Um, yeah, <laughs> those well, are my. With,
3: with with procrastination, uh, you know, we're delaying something that's uncomfortable, and you know, we're we're avoiding it. If you have a big project to do, it's probably not fun, right? So we we delay it. We think of reasons why we can't, or we think of a million things that we'd rather do than to to work on that project, and. Uh, people get stuck on the process, and I, in the book, I talk about shifting the focus to the outcome, uh, you know, how will you feel once you accomplish the goal, and, you know, what is it that you gain from that? And, you know, one of the exercises I have them do is to draw a line down the middle of a page on one side, write what they're gaining by not doing the task, and then on the other side, write what they gain by, by accomplishing it, and then... Also, think about uh, what happens if they don't do it, so what are the consequences of uh, continuing to, to delay.
2: You also talk about fear mongers. Who are your fear mongers? Uh, uh, who are your yeah, fear we you all know. have fear mongers. First, define what a fear monger is, and then, and uh, of course, in the book you get very specific. We have to talk about who they are and how they impede our ability to go ahead and move forward.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, these are people who are negative. These are people who uh maybe question your motives. These are people who are always complaining. These are people who, you know, they could win the lotto and they'll have a reason to complain. Oh, the taxes are so high. Um, you know, these are people who maybe take a vacation but complain that they have to go back to work after the vacation. Um, they're just, you know, people that you walk away from and don't feel so great about having spent time with them. And in the book, I have people uh, think about those types of people in their life. And there's a there's a, uh, a little quiz in the book. Um, I don't have it in front of me, uh, but I ask a series of questions. And if if you answer yes to uh, three of three of the ten, uh, then you know think about it. That's uh, 3 3 days out of 7 that the person that that the person is negative if you spend a week with the person. That's 30% of the time. But, uh, okay,
2: I'm going to well, stop you there, but let's say you take this test, <laughs> you you've defined who your fear monger is. Um, what if that happens to be your spouse, your child, your mother, your colleague at work? who you mm-hmm. have to work with, then what do you do? Because this person is keeping you from, you yeah. know, or is adding to your fear, so that you, as I say, so you can't go ahead and do what you need to do, so, but you can't get rid of these people, can you?
3: Well, no, not, it's not that easy to, get, easy to get rid of a spouse, but you, can't you can. To, you, <laughs> well, you can.
2: That's my next
3: But you, um, you have to talk to the person, explain that you're uh, pursuing a certain goal, and try to speak to the person in a positive way and explain that, you know, your support is important, um, you know, it's important that, that I get positive encouragement from you, uh, and just, you know, avoid the person if they're negative, you know, if they're not responding to your request. Yeah,
2: that's a. I think that's a huge, a, a big issue, a big yeah. topic, that whole, yeah, because, you um, you know, as I said, I mean, sometimes people who are acquaintances, are people you don't have to, you know, to go, you know, neighbors or, you know, certain people you can just write off. You don't have to be with them if they are encouraging your fears. But others, it's more difficult. But, okay, next thing you have in the book, which I'm, I I talk about probably every week on the show, it has to do with drugs and pharmaceuticals. And you say fearful people looking for a magic pill. They want to take Xanax. They want to take whatever they want to take. There are a lot of yeah. good medications. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's, um, sadly, I think we're in an over-medicated society. Uh, I have people coming into my office who are loaded up on meds, and, uh, you know, they tell me how they go to their doctor, they talk to their doctor for five minutes, and they walk out of the office with a prescription in hand, and, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but I just don't think five minutes is enough time to fully understand the full scope of, of what's going on with someone, and... Uh, you know, I've said to physicians, if you didn't have a prescription pad, how would you treat the problem? And they look at me stunned, and they just they don't have any other way to treat the problem. They just want to make people feel good in the moment, but there's a big difference between feeling good and getting better, and medication will not give you insight into your problems or the way that you're functioning, and they certainly won't uh, provide you with the tools that you need to uh, to, to make changes to get better,
2: the medication addresses the symptoms but not the root. The core. Right, port. right. And I'm, not, <laughs> and I'm not
3: entirely against meds. I think there are certainly cases where medication is warranted, but um, I also think meds are being given out for uh, the equivalent of a, uh, a psychological sniffle. I, I say in the book, and it's um, it's quite irresponsible.
2: Well, we have a couple minutes left, so what do we want to... I mean, this is a book filled with uh, lots of information about how to overcome your fears, and as you said, you can do it in a short period of time. You don't need to necessarily spend years and years in therapy. You don't need to medicate yourself, but they're just simple... not really simple, but practical ways to overcome your fears, I would say. Um, so you can purchase the book, Be Fearless, Change Your Life in 28 Days, Jonathan Albert, bookstores everywhere, online... Uh, you must have a website for the book.
3: Uh, I do, I I do. It's my name, jonathanalbert.com. And uh, the book came out yesterday, the 24th of April, and uh, it's getting a lot of attention. I had an op-ed piece in the New York Times this past weekend, uh, my views on therapy and how therapy can actually be uh, harmful to you, Uh, long-term, never-ending therapy where the therapist just sits there and nods his head. Uh, And I took a very strong stance against that, and I'm getting uh, hundreds and hundreds of emails, a lot of those hate emails from other therapists, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them uh, very positive and encouraging emails from, from people who are sharing their story with me about being stuck in therapy.
2: So what is it? Give us an example of one of those hate emails. where they're saying that you you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, these are other therapists. You're gonna you know, gonna lose uh, well, business. Let's see. I think
3: I think one is clearly hateful when they say go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm getting a lot of emails from old school therapists, analysts who see their patients uh, twice a week for you know a decade or more, and they're you know they spend a year talking about someone's uh, uh, diaper. Days, uh, and I think they're they're just offended that there's actually a, a more, perhaps a more efficient way to make change and get people better. Um,
2: I think so, they're threatened, maybe threatened, not offended, maybe offended too, but co- threatened. It threatens their whole. Uh, of- I, I think
3: that's a, I think that is also going on. Yeah. I, I feel that people uh, are probably threatened that someone wrote such a powerful article about. Um, uh therapy and the ways that it can be done to get to bring about change and all that's reflected in the book and
2: and and I think in the book also what it does first of all being in therapy twice a week and I've been in therapy I'm a social worker I think any I mean I always thought that anybody who does therapy uh should, or has a clinical practice should at least have been in therapy themselves not necessarily for years and years or twice a week but have some sense of what it is but therapy changes And it evolves, and I guess, I mean, that's kind of what your book is about and the way in which you go about conquering your fears. I mean, it has to be kind of consistent with how we live our lives today. You know, we had the Freudian psychology in the 1800s where – you know, upper middle class ladies sat and talked to the therapist for weeks. <laughs> but we've evolved since then. So, isn't that part of it? I mean, our therapies have to change too. Like, uh,
3: I, I think so. Our society has changed. Uh, you know, especially now when, where the when the economy is bad, people don't have the the money to afford therapy for so such a duration and frequency. And uh, you know, people want results. I have people coming to me, and we set out very clear. Goals and uh, come up with a three-month plan or a 28-day plan, and they want results. They they don't want to sit in therapy for years. Uh, they don't want to be mired in it like so many people seem to be these days.
2: Well, um, Jonathan, I think you've accomplished that in your book, and you. uh, yeah, I think it's it's just one of those books that it is very practical and does fit into our life and our lifestyle today. Be fearless, change your life in 28 days, Jonathan Alpert. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning.
3: Thank you, Catherine. Uh, great to be here. Thank you very great much. Great to have
2: you. Well, My next guest is Dr. Sherry Myers. It's all about therapy, actually, this morning. All three of my guests. She's a licensed marriage therapist and nationally recognized infidelity expert. And uh, I'm going to be talking to her about her new book, Chatting or Cheating? How to Detect Infidelity, Rebuild Love, and Affair Proof Your Relationship. I guess we'll just take a short break for a minute, and then we'll be right back. So don't go away with Dr. Sherry Myers. <laughs>
1: in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts.
3: VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
2: We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to Voice America VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Listen to us every Wednesdays from 9 to 10 Eastern Time, and we archive the show at the end of the day. Uh, my next guest is Dr. Sherry Myers, licensed marriage therapist and nationally recognized infidelity expert. Uh, her new book is Chatting or Cheating, How to Detect Infidelity, We Build Love, and Affair Proof Your Relationship. And, uh, as I said to Dr. Myers while we were just taking our short break, um uh, most people I know are cheating, unfortunately, and I know that men used to be the big cheaters, and they cheated, but I don't know what the statistics were, but I think women are catching up with them. Uh, which is not necessarily a good thing. But uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Myers. Thank you, Catherine. It's wonderful to be here. Okay, chatting or cheating? Um, and let's... you're
0: absolutely right. Women are catching up. Um, according to the latest statistics, up to 54% of women admit to cheating. 70, or 57% of men admit to cheating. And 74 that word admit of is important, percent of isn't? men would say they would cheat if they wouldn't get caught. And 68% of women say, well, if they weren't going to get caught, they'd probably cheat too. So the statistics are really getting
2: higher and higher now. Before the show, I was talking to one of my sons, and he's 28 years old, lives in Manhattan, and I told him, he asked who I was interviewing on the show today, and I told him, and I said, Dr. Sherry Myers. And, uh, he you know, when we to talk about chatting or cheating, and he said to me, "Now, this is a 27-year-old." He mm-hmm. said, "You know, men really aren't really aren't programmed to be uh, monogamous in terms of just one woman. It's the whole testosterone thing, um, and that's just kind of like a biological imperative." Um, what do you think about that?
0: I agree. I have always talked about it's programmed in men to spread their seed. So that really early primal DNA is about spread your seed and create life on earth. And so as we've become more socialized, now it's about, no, focus all that attention on one. And it has been hard for men, but this is the society we are living in. And if we want to change the rules, fine, but the society we are living in is built on a structure of monogamy. And cheating is breaking that contract of faithfulness. So you have to define what cheating is in your relationship.
2: Okay, okay let's, let's do that. What is cheating? Is open. In, what is cheating in a relationship? I mean, I know you talk about in your book. There's cheating. There's emotional cheating. We talk. About, let's let's kind of tackle that one right now. What's emotional cheating? We know what the other kind of actual physical cheating is. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to define it necessarily, but what, what's emotional cheating? Emotional
0: cheating is when you're starting to take your energy, your passion, your attention, and you start giving it to someone else outside of your relationship where it starts causing or starts to be a drain to your relationship. What begins to happen when you are crossing the line from just for example, a platonic friendship, into what is considered emotional affair or what I call emotional sex, is you start becoming more and more secretive. Suddenly, your highs and your lows are based on contact with this person. This person suddenly becomes an object of your fantasy for example, you're thinking more and more about them. Oh, would they, I wonder if they'd like this joke I just heard. You'd be, you're kind of checking your cell phone or your email all the time going, Why, is there any contact? Uh, maybe I should text. You start thinking about them more than you're even thinking about your partner or your kids. And your excitement starts becoming more and more attached to them. So your,
2: it, group, it so your so your partner doctor you your go-to person is this person this third person in your in your marriage or or your partnership or whatever so in other words things that are exciting to you i mean you really define it well so in other words you're all excited about something you don't necessarily want to tell your partner but you want to tell this third person and you want to right. share right and what's happening is you're
0: excluding your partner more and more
2: So your world, your inner
0: world, is starting to get attached to your friend, quote-unquote. You're what I call your emotional lover. And in comparison, the feelings you have for your partner are starting to drain. They're starting to flatline. You look at your partner and you go, God, I don't have the same feelings as I do with my friend. And what begins to happen is you start building this fantasy around the friend that your partner cannot in real life compete with. And we start having crushes and falling in love with this fantasy person. And that's the danger of emotional sex. And that's the danger of not staying aware and vigilant when we're starting conversations with people that we
2: have an attraction to. Is there any time that this emotional sex could be a positive in terms of adding to your relationship? Let's, because no relationship is perfect. Let's say you, you know, you have your partner, you are fairly happy, uh, you have a pretty good relationship, but there are certain things missing. Maybe your partner isn't interested, you're interested in art, he or she is not. So you find a third person of the opposite sex, or the same sex if you're gay, whatever, and, you ha- and that person starts to fulfill that need, and then you don't require so much from, say, your primary partner, and so it's okay because then you have, you, you, you're not always kind of like on that person to, to give you uh, stuff that they don't have or don't want to or are not interested in. Is that- I, think, I think that's one of the
0: reasons I wrote my book, Chatting or Cheating, because you're absolutely right it makes perfect sense that we should fill in our relationship with others and of course we should however i'm in a way i feel like the paul revere of our time <laughs> riding through the you know, the british are coming the british okay <laughs> be aware be aware affair affair oh. be aware be aware <laughs> because it's so easy to cross the line of course we need friends that's beautiful But when you are starting to cross the line, or you have to own yourself, you have to own your attractions, you have to own your excitement, you have to be aware. It's fine to have friends, but if you're getting titillated by the friendship in a way that your partnership isn't, and you're starting to give more attention away to your friend and your excitement is there, it's time to start bringing your attention home, because I really am an advocate for making relationships work. That is why I wrote my book, because I do believe even after infidelity, you can survive and make your relationship stronger than it ever was. But you take three things. It takes, and they're three small things. I call them the three A's. It takes giving your relationship the nourishment it needs, which is attention, affection, and appreciation. When you start feeding your relationship and each of you starts feeding each other with these three A's, relationships flourish, and you will need less from your friends. You still need friends, but you're going to need less of what is missing
2: to be filled outside. Is This is what you're referring to when you say, uh, you tell us how to a fair proof our relationships. If we have attention, affection, and appreciation, that will help to do this, to m- make sure. or it makes your relationships stronger. So let's
0: look at them. Like, let's look at what the three A's are. Because the truth is we're all so darn busy. We're distracted. We're already juggling so many plates. And it feels like, oh, my God, one more thing, one more book to read, one more <laughs> more, what? I have nothing left to give. I'm exhausted when I go to bed. You know, now she wants yeah. to get three more things. How can I even get it in there? But really, let's look at how simple these three things are, and they make all the difference. Attention. When you say goodbye to your partner, how do you say goodbye? You know, oh, shut the door on the way out or come here, baby, let's You know, let's kiss for 20 seconds. Really, say a goodbye, or how do you welcome your partner home? When you're together, what kind of attention are you giving? Are you complaining, or are you loving? Where are you putting your focus? And how much fun are you even having together? Do some stuff together. We're all living so separate with our separate lives. We're spending so much time in a way, even if we're in the same physical home, away from each other, not communicating, not giving each other attention, but give each other even a little bit of focused attention every day. That That is going to to make a big difference.
2: I'm going to stop you because I think that's really key, the word be aware and pay attention to how you're interacting with your partner. And as you say, we're, I mean, we're so busy. Most of us don't do that. You know, your partner comes in the door and it's high and then you're doing something else and, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, you're certainly not paying attention to him or her. Really important. But what about this? Okay, now let's go on to Nets. Let's say that you really suspect that your partner is having an affair. hmm Then what do you do? How do you, do you have to prove it? and then deal with it, or what do you do?
0: All right, it's very important if you suspect your partner's having a physical, emotional, or even cyber affair. And what I don't recommend is just coming out and telling him you're feeling. It's important to gather evidence because your partner's going to deny it. So the more evidence you have, the better the case you're going to have. But let's say you have found a piece of clothing in their car that doesn't belong to you, or you've checked their cell phone and <laughs> found text or dirty pictures. <laughs> Wait a minute, what is this? Or you happen to see an email or see photographs that are questionable. Take your proof, and then you can ask your questions. But the way I suggest, if you will, asking and confronting your partner is with love. And there's something called the Oreo cookie. Because love, your partner's going to go into denial and feel defensive. Love in some ways breaks through that. If they're feeling like they have to defend themselves, you're not going to get any answers and you're not going to get truth because you're going to get their fear. So the way to approach your partner is with what I call the Oreo cookie. And that's starting because I like chocolate. So you start with the chocolate, the positive. Then you fill it in with the evidence and the facts. And then you seal it with chocolate. So it might be something like this. Sweetheart, I love you. I love our relationship. I know there's been maybe a little distance between us lately. And it's been getting more and more separate. And I want to talk to you about some things because I want our relationship to be strong. Then you talk about, you know, I I happened to notice this text that came in on your phone the other day. And what what does it mean when someone sends you a text that says, hey, sexy, I miss you. Um, I'd I'd like to talk to you about this because this is very alarming to me and I'm concerned. I love you and let's work this through. Please tell me the truth. So basically, and you do it in a rational, reasonable way, so that basically, you know, you, you start with love, you talk about what you know, and then you open the discussion, the conversation for discussion.
2: When and I when was I'm reading th- your book, I was thinking, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think that's, that's great, advice obviously I think that and it does work well but as I was reading your book I just became aware of and maybe you know about this but I actually heard it on some uh, another talk show that they have GPS GPS tracking systems that they have now that you can buy for $199 and you can put it on someone's car and they say allegedly to maybe track your kids to be sure that they are going where they say they're going and that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing or not speeding or not going to friend's house they're not supposed to be at, but individuals are using it to track their partners and sticking it in their car or on their car, I'm not sure where you put it, so that they can specifically track where they are going and then have evidence as to their cheating. What do you think about that? Well, you know, if someone had a tracking device on my car and they said, why are you at
0: this restaurant? Hey, it was business. I mean, there's so many. (laughs) You probably would need more because we're adults you know kids it's a little easier adults i think it's a little harder there's also tracking devices if you will uh for the internet because truthfully so much there's such a way to track via cell phones and emails and receipts <laughs> so where's the money being spent i'm not sure you have to buy a car tracking device <laughs> I'm not sure what that's It seems to so simple.
2: like a real fit here, you know, you've been to this restaurant. Well, and unless they gone. have,
0: unless it's a truly a physical lover and they happen to be going to their house, you know. you each say, well, who's at this address? You know, that that would make it really easy. Or, why were you at a hotel? You know, you certainly can, but I think there's some other things to do before. That's only if you're really desperate.
2: <laughs>
0: and if it's an inner, if it's an emotional affair. Or, or it's with a coworker. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to really help you. Okay, use um, you know, that
2: as a last resort. Let's say, right? You, yeah, you have the receipts, you have other things, and you also have tried to talk to your partner, but it's not working. So then you have to. Well, uh, I guess you know they used to or um, still do hire hire private, private detectives, yeah, for yeah. following. Yeah, but with they're going out of business, I understand with some of these GPSs. But um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, but you all, but. I think you added to this, like there's just so much information, I mean, the texting and computers and, and the other thing, though, but like if you said to your partner, I saw some, you know, on, somebody text you and said, hey, you look sexy today, well, why are you snooping on their text? I mean, how far do you go as a partner to like, you know, read their emails, read their texts, that kind of stuff? Isn't that kind of invasion of someone's privacy or how does that work? Well, it it absolutely is, but if you're at a point where you're thinking of GPSs,
0: then you're (laughs) feeling something is missing, and there's a serious breakdown in communication going on that you can't talk about it. Uh, But let's, let's talk about maybe resolving this before it ever gets to that situation. For some of your listeners, it might be there, and you may have to take, drastic means, but I would start with sitting down and having a conversation because my guess is if there's cheating going on by either person, something's missing in your relationship, something else is going on, there's been a breakdown in your connection. My guess is you're not appreciating each other, you're taking each other for granted, that boredom or complacency or routine is set in and one or both of you are looking for excitement outside of the relationship. So it's going to come down to there's some kind of separation going on and it's creating a bridge if you want to save your relationship and save your marriage. If both partners are willing,
2: creating a bridge back to each other's hearts that's well said. I think that, that creating a bridge back to each other's hearts, and that's what you really have to do. I mean, there's so much in your book. I love it. I, I, I mean, oh, you. it's another, it's practical. I always like practical books that, you know, mm-hmm. really can, and apply to, to my situation. <laughs> uh, well, I, I do too, and that's why I wrote it in that
0: way, because people aren't crazy about reading. So I tried to make it super... Simple and accessible, and you don't even have to read the whole book. You can find the section that's most relevant to you, and just read that. And so, it's been a joy to write chatting or cheating, especially since the feedback's been
2: awesome. So awesome. That's what I'm going to ask you. What is the feedback, either from uh, from uh, patients, clients? You know, what kind of feedback have you gotten? Uh, I'm getting
0: incredible thank you letters and people who have read the book just being so excited, and especially as they apply the all the techniques for healing. Because half the book's about healing. It's not just about a fair, becoming a fair aware. It's about how to affair proof right. your relationship. And building those
2: bridges. We have to say goodbye, but I want to mention the title of the book again because it's Chatting or Cheating, How to Detect Infidelity, Rebuild Love, and Affair Proof Your Relationship, uh, author Sherry Myers, and she is marriage therapist and nationally recognized infidelity expert. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Love talking hey to you. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, we're going to just take a short break, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Our next guest is Krista or christy matter she's also a therapist and has worked in the mental health field for over twenty years clinician trainer and she uh, does a certain kind of therapy a behavior therapy called dialectical behavior therapy dbt for short so we're going to find out what that is when we come back don't go away
1: you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
3: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
2: We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And joining me this morning from Boston is Christy Matta, M.A., She has worked in the mental health field for over 20 years. Her new book is The Stress Response, How how Dialectical Behavior Therapy, DBT for short, can free you from needless anxiety, worry, anger, and other symptoms of stress. Uh, This just resonates with me because uh, it seems to me that I feel more stressed out more often than I would like to, and she has had a lot of experience which she talks about in her book, uh, specifically about the chemistry of stress. She has quizzes in the book, so you can really do a hands-on or, to find out whether you are stressed out and what we can do about it so that we don't turn or have an overreaction to stress like uh, alcohol, drugs, or food, food abuse. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Christy. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so stress response, the stress response. Um, what is the stress response, and why is it so important? I mean, I, actually, I mentioned a few things, uh, but, uh, you know, exactly what is the stress response that you talk about specifically in the book? Well, the stress response that I'm talking about is both our physical reaction to
4: um, stressors that are happening in our environment as well as our emotional reaction. So it's a response that involves um, a change in how our bodies are reacting to what's going on. Um, a lot of times, it's that adrenaline rush that people identify with with um, sort of stress that comes, that jitteriness and shakiness, and kind of increase of energy. Um, that's a physiological response. Um, there are changes in our brain, and then there are, there's also an emotional response. Often, um, things that stress us out. Also cause us to feel angry or irritated or anxious, and so the stress response is both that physical and emotional response.
2: So when we happens. have these physical and emotional responses to stress, whatever they, you know, as you say, it could be, I mean, you talk about, and you it could be in a traffic jam, raising a family, you know, a job, whatever it is. Uh, And we react to that stress in a negative way. What does that do to us? I mean, I make the assumption it's not a good thing most of the time the way we react to stress. And if we overreact, we really, well, what what do we do? What are we doing to our bodies and to our minds if we overreact to those kinds of stressors in our lives?
4: Right. We can cause ourselves a lot of problems. What happens is... A certain amount of stress is okay. It can be motivating for us. You feel some pressure at work and it can motivate you to do what you need to do and get a project done or get to work on time or whatever it is you need to do to kind of have your life functioning well. But when we're overloaded with stress or when we begin to handle stress in negative ways, say by continually going to the cookie jar or by having... something to drink to kind of ease the pain and that becomes habitual and develops problems, we start to make things worse by the way that we're dealing with stress. And we make it worse both in our behaviors, which then the behaviors, the things that we were doing to decrease stress may actually then cause more stress in our lives because they themselves become problems. And um, we, don't, we don't deal with the stress that's occurring in the physical reaction that's happening in our bodies and so over time, that chronic stress can lead to a lot of problems. Um, It can lead to feeling fatigued, um, feeling run down. Our bodies can sort of stay in this hyper state of um, adrenaline rush for a long period of time, and then they start to, we can't continue to function in that way, and so that's when we get really tired and run down. Um, We are more likely to get sick when we've been under stress for long periods of time. Um, there are changes in our brain that may, potentially could make your brain actually age more quickly if you're under stress for long periods of time and you're not able to manage it or respond in healthy ways. So It has really significant um, effects on our, our bodies as well as in what we do.
2: So it has a major effect on our immune system is what you're saying and, and in a very negative kind of way and makes us very vulnerable to not only... Uh, health physical health but also mental health our brains but now you have a very specific way obviously this is what the book is about dialectical behavior therapy that in, and this is something that you practice and that can help free us from all of this which you say is needless anxiety worry anger and all the other symptoms of stress so what is dialectical behavior therapy
4: Sure. Dialectical behavior therapy originated in the 1990s um, by a woman named Marsha Linehan, and she originally um, developed the treatment based on cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a treatment that's designed to really pay attention to what people are thinking and how their thinking is impacting their emotions and their behaviors. And a lot of times we think things that are problematic. We think I should do this or I shouldn't do this or um if something happens it's devastating. And so our thoughts can can be really problematic for us. Um and and so she came at a perspective looking at can we change the way we think and then change our emotions and our behaviors and the way we feel. Um what DBT does is it adds to that look at how you're thinking um a um, strategies to understand also how you're feeling and how your emotions are connected to what's going on, um, and also strategies to help deal with crisis, strategies to come and center yourself, um, ways to relate to other people in a positive way that helps get your needs met, and ways to reduce extreme and
2: painful emotions. Christy, give us an example of a case history of, of that re- you know that will Get, uh, just give us an example, as I say, I always say, you know, that social workers do put a face on it. How, uh, you know, give us an example of someone who has reacted to some stressor, whatever it is, and using this particular modality of, of therapy, how it works to alleviate the stress. Uh,
4: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think um, one example that comes to mind is somebody who was um, in the process of, had discovered um, a, a lump on her neck and was worried that it might be a problem and was in the process of going through a number of different um, medical, you know, appointments and procedures to determine what it was. And of course, this takes a period of weeks and months. And this partic- particular person was becoming more and more frantic as the process went on um, and was continually getting kind of bad news. And so, you know, that this was potentially cancerous and that it was having bad news and was so stressed, was um, beginning to have problems with her relationships, fighting, um, lots of conflict, um, was withdrawing from other relationships, a, a relationship with children, and not wanting to talk to them about it or deal with them or deal with them in any way because she would feel that she needed to talk about it. So there was beginning to be the way she was dealing with it was becoming, there was beginning to be more conflict in her life, problems in her life. And she really was able to um, focus in on the crisis strategies and begin to use strategies to um, get a little bit of distance From it, she was thinking about it constantly, constantly worried, constantly um, just kind of revved up and in this state of high emotion and high kind of energy. And so she started using strategies to get some distance from it and strategies to help really calm and center herself. And that made a tremendous difference. She started seeing... Problems in the relationships go away. She wasn't having to distance from her children anymore. She was able to think more calmly about, you know, how might I begin to talk to my children about this? And it's because we can't we can't be in a state of crisis twenty four hours a day. We can't. It's emotionally overwhelming, and so she was started to use some strategies just to um, give herself a little bit of a break um, during the course of the day, which began to improve how she was. Dealing with the whole situation.
2: So, how often do you? Do, I mean, that's a great example because I think so many of us today are confronted with that kind of stuff. I mean, having to wait for a diagnosis, as you say, you know. And the first thing, any, I think the first thing most of us, and I'm, in generalizing, I know, uh, if I have a lumbar's cancer, that's it. It can't be anything else but cancer. And then you have to go from there. Um, at least that's been you know, my experience, and in something, it could be totally benign, but that's what you think about, and you get into mm-hmm. this, as you describe this, like, really stressful situation. And so this is interesting. Dial- this dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, does it work on certain populations better than others, or children and adults? Is it, is it, is it good for um, uh, both children and adults and a variety of, of uh, demographics, different kinds of people?
4: Yeah, I mean, it can really work with a variety of people. I know um, I've worked with people who are adolescents as well as adults. Um, I haven't worked with young children with it, and I think because it's a, a treatment that also looks at your thoughts sometimes with young children, um, that's hard to really get into, although I think some of the strategies, it's got a component of mindfulness, which is a, a meditative type of, um, of component designed to help sort of calm and center yourself and help you focus. And that actually has been used very effectively with children as being incorporated into a lot of schools these days um, to help children be able to focus better. So I think components of it certainly would be a wide variety. um, The treatment as a whole and the strategies as a whole, definitely for adolescents and adults, um, particularly people who are in places where they're feeling highly emotional.
2: Would this be a replacement for, say, you know, uh, and I've had several shows this past few weeks on medicating children uh, for children who are diagnosed with uh, uh, attention deficit disorder, those kinds of behaviors, instead of giving them medication, you could use this particular strategy, can you, or in conjunction with maybe less medication?
4: It might be effective in conjunction with less medication, and certainly the mindfulness. I think you know you see in schools kids who just don't know how to focus and um, who are kind of all over the place. And we have now. I mean, you talked about feeling more and more stress lately. And I think in our the way we are today, with we have so many com- competing demands and we have so many interruptions to our thinking from cell phones and emails and things just kind of coming at us all the time. And that's happening more and more. And so learning how to be present in the moment and really be able to focus yourself is a very important skill for both children
2: and adults. I completely agree, and I have just a personal uh sort of the antidote uh, and I'm working on this website, and one of my sons is working on a website, and he was stressed out about the website and his the one he's doing and I was stressed out about the one I'm doing. we both we started laughing it's like I mean we have website anxiety. this is crazy I mean, thirty years ago, twenty years ago, no one would ever thought about that, but it creates so much anxiety because it's related to your work and your business, and uh, uh, this kind of um the, the team would work well, I would think, for both of us. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. In moments
4: like that when you're stressed, both the ability to sort of bring yourself down and calm yourself and focus your attention. Um, and a lot of our stress comes from, yeah, website anxiety, from anxiety that comes from not being able to focus because I don't know about you, but at work often I'm, I might be writing, but I've got emails popping up all the time. And we're kind of constantly interrupting ourselves, and um, that in itself can cause us stress. So there's a lot that sort of just being able to focus and be present in the moment. We also can get really distracted um, by worries and anxieties and might, even though we're washing the dishes or driving the car, might find that we are, our minds are really off in a very different place, and we're really not present in what we're doing in the moment, and that can create a lot of stress.
2: Yeah, being present in the moment and not being distracted, huge issues today. It's a pleasure talking to you. Your book is great. The Stress Response, How Dialectical Behavior Therapy Can Free You from Needless Anxiety, Worry, Anger, and Other Symptoms of Stress. Christy Matta, M.A., Master's Degree, and you can go. Christy, you have a website, and there's also, isn't there a website as well for the book? Uh, you can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere. But um, it's, if we just go to your website, we can get uh, information or links to the book, right?
4: Yes. Yeah, my website is www.dbtmind.com. And you can. Um, the book is there, and it's also on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. And it's available in the Kindle and the Nook, as well as regular paperback.
2: Great. Fantastic. Great having you on the show today. Thanks so much. Thank you. stress response Christy Matta I'm Catherine Zox I'm your social worker with a microphone you've been listening to the Catherine Zox show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio listen to us every Wednesday from 9 to 10 Eastern listen live have a great week and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday
1: we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox show you can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America channel want to know more about Catherine visit her website at www.katherinesox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Katherine Zox.